Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another episode of Everything is Personal. And welcome, my lovely co-host, Mr. John Small. Well, it is a pleasure, pleasure to be here, Len. So you're wearing a Mob Deep shirt? Yes. That has a uh, dragon on it, or some sort of a resemblance of a dragon? Yes. Right? Is that it? Mm Mm-hmm. Beautiful. R.I.P. Prodigy. That's mob awesome Deep shirt. is, uh, yeah, they are, if you want to just break into some Mob Deep, listen to uh, Shook Ones Part 1. I don't know if there was Absolutely. a Shook Ones Part 2, but Shook Ones Part 1 is yeah. one of the greatest raps ever recorded in the history Absolutely. of rap. And it's still, they, the kids nowadays still use that terminology, Shook, and they don't know where it came from. They don't even know where it It is, they do give it a shout out in 8 Mile, which is already, True. not even a dated movie, but they actually play uh, Shook Ones in 8 Mile, which I thought was very cool, because I always thought it was a very cinematic rap. And I actually went down the rabbit hole just the other day on YouTube and figured out where the samples came from, and it was just all sorts of weird, interesting uh, I love places. that, doing that. Yeah. So I thought, I thought you were going to ask me how my day was. Yeah, how was your day? Sure. Oh, yeah, how I'm was your day, sure. Glenn? Uh, today <laughs> was a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Did your mom cook breakfast with no hog? And no hog today. No hog today? No. <laughs> And I didn't have to use my AK. <laughs> you know, it's always a good day when you don't have to use your AK-47. And, and when the Lakers beat the Seattle Supersonics, it's just a good day. What a great rap yeah, that is. Exactly. That's amazing. For some weird reason, you've been in a cave and have not heard that rap. Another great storytelling rap. Hey, have you ever heard when Justin Timberlake and uh, Jimmy Fallon do the whole thing? Like, they do a history of rap and they go through and they do their... Yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing. They do one of those, so it's pretty funny. And, then, and he stops and goes, today I didn't have to use my AK. And he's like, wait, today you have to use your AK? Really? Really, Jimmy? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Wait. Um, did, you just, did you just say you didn't have to use your AK? I didn't, I didn't, have, to, I didn't have to use it today. <laughs> yeah, was, not today. No. You don't, uh, you don't have an AK, do you, Jimmy? No, no I don't. Gotta say it was a good day. So there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Number one, I had 
great feedback from an episode that we we did about going over our DNA results. Mm. So yours and mine, like people were saying, oh man, I learned so much from that. So I was thinking that we can invite people if they are interested in doing that. And I'll put it out to you know all the listeners and, and viewers. If anybody is uh, of uh, a certain, I don't want to call status, or if they're interested in learning about their own DNA, that's something that we may be inviting some people on the show and going over their DNA results. I think it'd be pretty cool uh, if they're willing to share that. So I'm just putting it out in the universe. Man, that's, a, that's quite well. an offer because that is, it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. I, I love doing it, but it's like, it is literally like putting pieces of the puzzle together and doing like sort of uh, reading the tea leaves. I had this conversation with my mom the other day because uh, she was telling me that the CBD that I suggested for her, uh, she was saying that it puts her to sleep. She takes it before bedtime and it puts her right to sleep. For me, I take the same exact one and I'm up. Like it keeps me up. I'm just watching TV or whatever. It doesn't do anything uh, in terms of putting me to sleep. It allows me to focus maybe. So I just found that super fascinating. And it's interesting because you obviously share some DNA there. And so why does it work for her, but not you? We do and we don't. Right. So I went over both of my parents' DNA results. I read both of them. And it's so funny how different my mom and my dad are. My mom, I think, has I'm whispering the juju. I think she has one of those. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> my, she's lactose and, so she's lactose intolerant and incredibly anxious. <laughs> that my dad but i do understand where some people everybody consumes cannabis at some level i understand where they can feel that type of feeling and if they're feeling that type of feeling i'll describe and you can describe your own which you've done before but when you feel that and you have a genetic predisposition that can actually take you into another dimension like it can trigger that anxiety it can trigger that uh, psychosis like effect because you're actually feeling something on a physical level. Mm -hmm. So I took a deep dive into medical journals because you asked me a fantastic question. You said, and I'm paraphrasing, you said, what actually happens internally within my body that actually makes me feel that way? What happens where, you know, my heart starts racing, all that stuff. So we're going to lose a bunch of audience members because I'm going to dive deep and you're not losing me. I'm fascinated about this. I want to know. I want to know the science. What is happening to you? All these reactions, we always talk about, oh, it makes you feel this way. Well, what's really going on? I think sometimes just knowing what's going on makes you feel less anxious because you're like, oh, this is normal. It's exactly it. That's what happens. When you have knowledge, you know what's going on. You can deal with that kind of thing because right. it's like having a some sort of trip. And the first time you trip, you're like, oh, my God. And then next time, you're like, I know what to expect. So you have to set setting with everything. But I, I'm a big believer in knowledge and power. So in your situation, you start feeling your heart rate elevates and you start feeling a little anxiety but at first it's basically your heart rate right is mm -hmm. that what happens with you yeah i get i suddenly get a wave that hits me it's like a wave it literally feels like a wave mm -hmm. and my heart leaps kind of does a little leap yeah. and then i'm like i look around and i'm like oh shit something just changed in my reality <laughs> right. i am high and it yeah. takes me a minute to figure out what's going on or a minute 10 seconds but in that moment, it feels like a minute. It feels like it feels a minute. Like an hour. Twenty minutes later, I'm like, "What just happened?" And then I'm like, "Oh wow, oh okay." And then it takes me. Sometimes I'll go and I'll look at myself in the mirror or whatever. You know, if I'm alone, this always seems to happen when I'm alone. It doesn't happen when I'm with other people. It's just when I'm alone and doing all the MRI. So yeah, then I start feeling my heart race. Am I supposed to be feeling that way? So you tell me what I'm, what is happening, and what did you find out? 
Well, so the endocannabinoid system, as you know, and most of our listeners know, it's involved in so many different things within our bodies. And the goal of it is to maintain homeostasis, which is balance. But it's involved in mood. It's involved in movement. It's involved in appetite, all these different things. But the one thing that I found fascinating, it's involved in controlling blood pressure. So when you consume cannabis, it acts really similarly to THC, how anandamide works, which is our bliss hormone inside our bodies in the endogenous and the cannabinoid. And what happens is when you actually consume THC and it binds to that receptor, your blood vessels, they actually relax and widen. They get bigger. Mm. So when that happens, it's called vasodilation. And when that happens, it actually influences the heart rate. And the heart starts pumping harder and faster to compensate for that because you're adding more anandamide or more THC. And to get really geeky and science it affects the transient receptor anchorin type 1, which is called the TRIP-PA1 receptor, which further vasodilates the resting heart rate. So think about it this way. Your resting heart rate is between 60 to 100 beats per minute. By consuming cannabis, THC, it can actually increase the resting heart rate by 20 to 100% in some people. So your actually heart rate, when you're rest, at rest, it can actually increase a lot more than that. And that actually drops your blood pressure. So your vasodilation drops your blood pressure and your heart beats faster to compensate for that. So when it, your heart starts pumping faster, you can get dizzy, you can get faint. And if you have some predispositions to anxiety in, in the first place, or even you know PTSD or anything like that, now that record starts playing over and over in your head, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, and you're freaking yourself out. But it's a normal occurrence to have that. Now, if it happens over a prolonged period of time and you have some challenges with your heart as it is, irregular heartbeat, et cetera, you should be aware of that. But it's very, very normal for your heart rate to accelerate when you consume THC because of the drop in blood pressure and your heart needs to work faster and harder in order for that blood flow to start, you know, to keep pumping the same level. That makes sense? Yeah, that's really interesting because I think, like I said, part of it is just not knowing. And I think it's important to know, like, I am not having a heart attack right now. Cannabis has never given anybody a heart attack as far as I know. Look, I mean, probably everything has given somebody a heart attack. But right. as far as I know, cannabis is not the leading cause of cardiac arrest. And I, I, it probably has never caused anybody to have a heart attack. Probably have a heart attack because you have pre-existing conditions. So, no, I think that's really important to know. And that's interesting to know. Yeah. So I won't be as, as worried about it. Yeah, it's it's that. It's exactly what you said. It's that the worry, that concern, that that uh, it's the that cycle, fear, right? So yeah. if you actually know what's going on inside your body, right? You know what's going on. You're like, oh, when I consume cannabis, my heart is going to beat faster because it needs to pump more blood because it's accelerating the resting heart rate. As long as you know that that's a normal occurrence of uh, when you consume cannabis, then you don't have to freak yourself out. And then maybe some kind people, of enjoy it. <laughs> they'll, they'll trigger that. Yeah, some people, yeah, it's like adrenaline. Yeah, I'm getting yeah, adrenaline. Yeah, wow, this feels, feels good. good. It's like my blood's pumping through my body all of a sudden. I don't even need to get on the Peloton. That's a good idea. You should just smoke weed and then sit back and say, my heart is working overtime, so it's just a work workout. That's why sometimes I don't like to smoke alone because I do like to smoke with somebody else because then I can, that probably drive them crazy. No, that's why nobody ever wants to smoke with me because I'm always like, am I <laughs> supposed to be, like if we smoke together, Lennon, we should probably do an episode where we just get high together and then I can ask you a Let's lot of questions it. while I'm high. 
but I'll be like, am I supposed to be feeling this? Are you sure? Because like, okay, right now I just forgot what I where I was and you know, whatever. And it's good <laughs> when you're with somebody, there's something about like being able to check in. It's kind of nice. Like you said, setting, set and setting, right? Yeah. So it's, it's the whole thing of being able to pass a, a joint around and we, you talk about pass the duchy you know, on the left hand. Yeah. Side. Yeah. I've always <laughs> wondered, talk- is that about passing weed? Nobody's ever explained the past. The oh yeah, of course. Yeah, because, of course. Because there's kids wrapping it and it didn't matter in Jamaica. It doesn't matter how <laughs> no. old you <laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah. Because there was room, you know, the duchy was a, uh, I always heard it was a collection thing for like poor people. And then, uh, you know, there's a, <clears> there is a cannabis company called duchy. So I think yep. they probably did their research. Yeah. I think I was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, actually Dutch. And he was saying that the, what was it called? The Dutch butler or something? There's a, there's a whole saying or, or some lexicon that they refer to uh, for cannabis. But it has to do with the uh, Dutchy and, uh, and Dutch. The, the point I was trying to make is that, first of all, passing a joint during COVID is, at the very least, frowned upon. If uh, not worse, so you, we try to not do that unless, you know, people don't have COVID or tested or whatever. But just in general culture, this whole vape culture. You said you wanted to share with other people, but if everybody has their own vape, it loses that yeah. connection with other people. Um, I was just trying to yeah, and it's out. interesting. I get a lot of um, press releases now about the pre-roll, these mini pre-rolls. They're called like, sometimes people call them dog walkers because they're like yeah. the amount of pot that you would, <laughs> you would consume in, in walking your dog, which I think is pretty clever. But these, you know, you can see like the whole industry is sort of gearing towards the not sharing culture. This was even before COVID, but now very much more with COVID. And this is giving me a story idea, actually. It is interesting how, <laughs> how the industry is kind of like responding to this lack of sharing. And, and that's what most people liked so much about pot was that you, you would pass it around. I don't think I ever smoked a joint that I didn't share with somebody up until I moved to California and it became legal. And No, I agree with you 100%. So that, let's try to bring that back. Damn, I smoked a joint with Sarah Silverman right before. Uh, and I only smoked it with her because, you know, I don't even like cannabis just because it was her. But well, she wanted to brag. But she wanted to brag. Yeah, no, your, your name I, dropped. Oh, I'm totally bragging. I was oh, at a club. I know Sarah Silverman. Well, I was at a club, friend. and yeah, I know I'm so name dropping. But the only reason I brought that up is because it, I realized that I only did that because I wanted to share <laughs> and I wanted to talk to her. <laughs> but it brought me into her group. Like it wasn't even a group of famous people. She was just outside this bar that I was at, and she was smoking and she, with like five other people, and then just passing the J around. That, yeah, that's awesome. That was a different Maybe era. We can- yeah, maybe we can get Sarah's uh, DNA test and we can go over her results. And I think she may have the G-gene too. Just- <laughs> I, it, suspicious. I don't know. Could, I mean, <laughs> she's so Christian in her ways. Um, <laughs> One more name drop for me. Yeah. Uh, since I have to match your yeah. name drop. And which is going to be tough. It's not going to be Silverman's pretty, Silverman's pretty up there. It's, it's very hard Just to try. match. But I did have a Danny Masterson experience, by the way. Caveat: Whatever's going on with legal issues with Danny, I don't, I, I don't know anything about it, and I, I don't condone or support or anything. Right. I've been reading some stuff. Yeah. But that '70s show, it was always that that guy Hyde. You know, he was smoking weed in their basement. When I saw him out, well, I was smoking a joint. I'm like, hey man, I got to smoke a joint with Hyde. He was like, yeah, let's let's do it. So that was an experience smoking joint with Hyde. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, it's it. Listen. It's not, is it Sarah Silverman? I don't know. You know, it Absolutely really is, not. it's really up to the people listening. You let us know in the comments below whether that was as good as the Sarah Silverman 
name battles. Drops. We're gonna have a battle, like you know, they name drops. The, that battle, yeah, the battle, the DJ battle against the like it was Jill Scott and Erica Badu or whatever they have. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen those. We'll do like which celebrity got high with which is higher. Uh, which yeah, which celebrity did we get high <laughs> high with that's cooler? You know, you you've yeah. done Be Real, I've done Snoop Dogg. You had some other stuff you wanted to talk about today. I want to kind of shift gears for a minute and talk about best, worst, and first jobs. I was actually talking to a friend of mine. He's like, what was your first job? I'm like, well, do you consider shoveling snow as a first job? He's like, yeah, it's kind of a first job. I said, well, I'll tell you what I did when I was shoveling snow. So in Philly, years ago, when I was a kid, there was a lot of snow. We used to get a lot of snow. They don't get a lot of snow anymore, but there's no such thing as global warming. But there's not the same amount of snow as we used to get. Well, the science is really still out on that one. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, <laughs> very, very little science on that in, in the reality. But we would go out and it would snow and it would snow a lot. We'd come out and knock on doors and say, hey, can we shovel your driveway? $15 or $10, whatever it was. And if you do the car, it's up to $20 and we kept raising our prices. But then the next time around when it snowed, I would go around and say, oh, you know, Billy was over here and we already told Billy we're going to, or Billy's going to shovel our sidewalk. So I, I'm like, oh, okay. So what I started doing was the day before it snowed, like I watched the weather and it's going to be a snowstorm. I would go around the neighborhood with a piece of paper and I would write people's names down. I would say, hey, if it snows tomorrow, can we come by and shovel you your uh, driveway? So we reserved those spots and Billy and his crew couldn't beat us to that. But I'm not sure if that's really a first job. That's sort of like a first entrepreneurial well, kind of uh, thing. Were you getting paid to do that? Yeah, we're getting yeah. paid like a 10, 20, you know, 15, 10, 20 dollars to shovel driveways. So definitely. And I had a crew. I had me and my two best friends. That is, you're just reminding me of a, th a story that I haven't thought of in 40 years where a friend of mine and I were doing shoveling driveways and he was kind of, we were walking down the street and he was kind of dragging his, his shovel down the street kind of like as we were walking, but it got stuck in a rivet and it pushed into his groin in such a way that he went, he screamed and said, I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. And he ran back to his house because <laughs> he, he was quite injured. So we're talking about best and worst jobs, right? That was your well, worst. We're talking about first jobs. First I'll jobs. Go into, I'll go into best and worst jobs in a minute, but you reminded me of the story. So my friend, Eric and Steve, they're waiting for me to get out of my house. They have their shovels because I'm always running behind and my dad is yelling at me like usual or something like that. And I see them outside my window. They have two shovels and they're having a, a fight and they're throwing snow at each other with uh, with shovels. And I see them swinging the shovel. And then all of a sudden, I see Eric. I walk outside and Eric is like, ow. And he grabs his hand. And uh, Steve hit him with the shovel and broke his finger. And his finger was hanging out oh, on the side of his glove. And he ran home. So we, missed, we didn't have Eric to shovel that day. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, it's treacherous work shoveling snow something that my children will never understand Absolutely. in their lives it's amazing let me tell you my real first job that i would say uh selling newspaper subscriptions door to door so the way that it worked is this guy steve he was in his probably early 20s he would pick us up in a red van and the red van was, was it windowless uh, yeah, windowless red van That's with safe. no seats. It's completely uh, metal inside, and you right. sit on piles of newspaper. And your parents were like, fine, go with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Nowadays, we're like, oh, my right, God. Right. You know? A windowless never... red van pulls up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go on. 
so it was me, my friend Steve, and my friend Eric, who were my two best friends. The other two guys who were there, this guy Alex, who we called him Metalhead. He was uh, of Asian descent, and he was really into Metallica. He wore a vest with a like Master of Puppets uh, iron-on, I think, in the back of his uh, denim vest. And then uh, this guy, uh, we call him Teardirt. So he would pick us up, and then he, we would drive to a neighborhood, like far away from our house. And they would drop us off and we would go knock door to door to sell newspaper subscriptions. So in the meantime, he would introduce us to new music. So he was really into uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But I was like, wow, this is sort of interesting. It's sort of electronic, beautiful stuff. I never heard that kind of music before. So he would always introduce us to more sophisticated palette of music. And Alex hated it because he wanted to listen to heavy metal and we wanted to listen to hip hop. So this was a... (laughs) Uh, Constant battle. Yeah, we would settle. But this uh, kid, Mike, he was very good at doing impressions. He would constantly do impressions of different people. He was very, very good at it. His job was really hard. Knock on the door and you give him a Sunday inquire, which is in Philly, that's their paper. And you say, hey, you know, sign up for a subscription. You get this free copy of the Sunday uh, paper. Door slammed in your face. And it was a great way (laughs) to deal with rejection really early on. I was probably... 13, somewhere around there, it was a great way to learn how to do that very, very early on in your life. But so I would constantly get rejected, constantly get rejected. And, you know, every once in a while, uh, get somebody to, to um, subscribe. So I, I feel, by the way, I'm going to PSA, I feel really bad about this now. But at that time, I did not feel bad about this. So remember, I said this guy Mike did voices. And one of his characters he did was a I, I don't think the word retarded is politically correct anymore. So I'm going to no, say. No, you can just say a retard. I think that's okay. Oh, okay. A mentally challenged? <laughs> mentally challenged is fine. He would do this uh, uh, mentally challenged okay. character. I told him, why don't we partner up? So I would go to the door and I would knock and people would open the door and I would tell the story and I'd say, yeah, so we're selling newspaper subscriptions to support the mentally challenged and the uh, Mike, do you have anything to say? Mike would be like, uh, oh, blah, 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 you know, whatever. I'm not doing that. <laughs> this is so on and PC. I would, I would rock it because people are like, yeah, for charity, for mentally challenged kids, of course I would. So I was just like, and everybody was like, why are you getting so many sales? Why are you getting so many sales? I don't say anything. And then somebody ratted us out. They complained about us and we got in trouble and uh, I had to give that up. But that was my, that was my first real well, job. I don't know what lessons we can take away from that other than that you're a terrible person. No, that's, and and inge- ingenious. God, my first job was probably my best job. I was thinking about this this morning. Best and worst job because my family used to vacation in a place called Fire Island and we would stay there for the whole summer. I always wanted to be a lifeguard. I was this fantasy of being a lifeguard, but that was never going to happen because I was, you know, I was 13 years old this, or whatever. This is pre-Baywatch, right? So you yeah. Didn't, you didn't have Hasselhoff? Who was I didn't have any Hasselhoff. <laughs> But, of course, all the lifeguards were really attractive, and they were all older than me. But I wanted to be a lifeguard. So I, I got the nerve up, I think, with a friend to ask, you know, the lifeguards, how do we become a lifeguard? And they well, you know, you're too young, whatever. But we have this thing called Beach Patrol, and we can give you $10 a day. And we're like, Beach Control, Beach Patrol, that sounds awesome. And they gave us these T-shirts and said, Beach Patrol. It turned out what Beach Patrol really meant, there was two parts of the job. One was to clean all the seaweed off the beach at 6 in the morning, which was a nightmare. <laughs> um, the other was that in the weekends— uh, they had a, a strict policy back then that people couldn't go topless. And this was in the 80s, 70s, maybe even in the 80s. 
And for some reason, all the women on the weekends would come to that beach and want to be topless. So my job was to have to go up to, this is a 13-year-old boy, go up to, you know, 21-year-old women with their tops off and say, excuse me, ma'am, the rules are that you're not allowed to have your top off. I have to ask you to please put your top back on. Like, that was my job. It was really hard for a 13-year-old. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> for many ways. Um, I see what you mean about being the best and it worst. It was the best and worst job. It was like yeah. I got to know uh, the female anatomy, but I also was mortified with embarrassment. And oftentimes the women would not be happy that this kid was walking up to them with their tops off, telling them to, to put their tops back on. Um, Did so that you have was, any uh, other interesting experiences with any of those women? There were no, I actually found one of my girlfriend <laughs> from that summer. And we say girlfriend, I mean that I went and had ice cream with her who, you know, I found her on Facebook. That's the joys of Facebook, right? You find these people that you never, ever in a million years thought that you would ever find again. I mean, she doesn't even live in, yeah, in the country anymore. But um, so that was, it got me very interested in water sports and I never did become a lifeguard, but I'm very good at telling women, you know, it's interesting now, whenever women see me, they just want to put their tops on. So um, there's something obviously about me that inspired women. You got to make a shift off, off, take him off the top. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's funny. So I, I was a certified lifeguard and I got, oh. I used to be a Boy Scout and I went to Boy Scout camp. So that was one of my first merit badges. And I was a lifeguard in the pool for a while. So I did achieve your dream. Well, it never <laughs> happened for me. I tried to make it happen for my kids. They're like, we don't want to be a lifeguard. I tried to make, make them live my dream. And they were like, no, no, thanks. Yeah, we'll show them Baywatch. Maybe yeah, maybe inspired. that'll change. No, they, they'll probably just think, that's cheesy. That's so cheesy. So my best job. But I do have a good Pam my, Anderson story. But anyway, yeah, go go we, no, we always have no, to drop ahead. stories. Oh, Pam Anderson just hated me. I interviewed her in her trailer, and every question that I asked her, she took offense with. <laughs> like, it was like I was asking her something. Like, no matter what it was, I was like, so tell me about the beginning of your career. What do you mean, like, the beginning? Like, are you saying that my career didn't start? You know, she just, I don't know why. I just, there was something about me that she just, like, every question I asked her just upset her. Interesting. <laughs> it might have just been the setup because I was with Maxim Magazine, so her assumption was that I am just the worst person in the world. Um, what, why Maxim had a reputation of some Well, Maxim was just, you know, like, yeah, it was just a, it wasn't a playboy, but it wasn't exactly like the most, uh, you know, there was a lot of scantily clad women in the magazine. So you didn't get it for the articles. You mean, just, well, yeah, apparently people did buy it for the articles, but, um, (laughs) the reason Pam Anderson was in the magazine was not because of the article about her. Then we got really high and that's the end of that story. That always is a, (laughs) like we said, it's a, it's a bringing people together. It that's would see if I would have probably if I would have had a joint and would have been like, hey, would you want to smoke a joint? I mean, that put just would have totally eased the situation. I'm going to do another PSA. I've done like three on, on the show. I don't think I've done any on any other shows. But uh, f- for the reporters out there, for anybody who's doing interviews, I would suggest that before you start, I would share a joint with uh, your subject, whoever you interview. I that's think so smart. It's a piece. It's a piece pipe. <laughs> it really is a piece pipe. That's what was in the piece pipe. Nobody ever talks about that, but it was that was a lot of hashish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. So my best job, I, I think I talked about it before, but my favorite job of all time was Tower Records, for sure, 100%. It was the best. I made no money whatsoever, but I mean, when I still, through Facebook, as you said, I still keep in contact with some of the people I used to work with. And there's there's a certain bond between those Tower Records people that we still maintain, because I think uh, it, it was just such an interesting place to work and such 
if you're a music person, I mean, I couldn't think of any better job. Music is all over, everywhere, all the time. And uh, yeah, it just was an amazing job. The amount of records I got to collect and shirts and CDs, thousands and thousands of them and concerts and all that stuff. So that was my favorite. My worst job, I had to think about it for a while, but the job itself may have not been the absolute best job. It's just the extracurricular activities that came with the job. So I'll explain this. You can, you can tell me your feedback and the audience can give me feedback on that too. So I worked for this retirement home. So this retirement home, uh, I was a waiter. So they would serve lunch and dinner and a couple hundred people go into the, the dining room and you serve them your prepared meals. And I think it's, they get to choose either one or the other. So it's basically two meals that you're serving. And there was two people actually died during dinner service. So that was, a, that was really interesting. Kind of shaking, trying to wake them up and they were already, oh, Jesus. Uh, they passed. Yeah. But that wasn't the worst part about, about the job. <laughs> the worst part about the job was we would circle around to different activities and different posts. So after we got done serving, uh, some people would, vacuum the dining room for instance some people would uh you know clean up the back or something like that one of the mice my jobs was a dish catcher yeah. someone described this a dish catcher by the way this is in summer in philly it's already hot and humid 90 some degrees in the kitchen where they're washing dishes it's even more uh humid and hot over 100 degrees so there's a machine that comes out with all these dishes well, my job is to grab the dishes with my hands, catch them, and stack them into a thing. The skin would burn off my fingertips oh, because man. the dishes were so hot. So I had a bucket of ice. I would put my hands in ice, cool them off, grab as many as I can, put them back in the ice, and I would do that. And it was just the worst. I would come back and my fingers, all of them would be burned and hurt. And I was sweating. It was the absolute worst now, somebody asked me recently, I was just talking about my job, and somebody said, why don't you wear gloves? Duh. Mm. Never thought about it. So if I can go back, I would just wear gloves, and I think it would be better. You know, people have the best ideas, and you never ask them. My worst job was also dishwashing. I think that might be just one of the worst jobs you can possibly have. It's not a fun job. It's pretty gross, but everybody has to do it. No, not everybody. We did it. <laughs> I hope my kids will have to do it. Uh, I make them do it every night anyway. Um, they're do you training do that? Do them. Do you make them? My son does. You make the dishes. them watch this? My son does. Yeah. The dishes. He likes it because he could listen. To, he listens to his YouTube and he, I don't know. He just, yeah, I did it. And I did it at this place called the Black Dog in Martha's Vineyard. And it's funny, that shirt is so popular, especially if you're in the East Coast. You see all these people walking around with this shirt that has a black dog on it. It's just like a, it's like a preppy yeah. thing that a lot of people walk around with. And when I see that shirt, I shiver. It's like, I, to most people, it represents like the cool, <laughs> preppy. Martha, to me, it's like, oh, that was the worst job I ever had in my life. People's dirty plate. Can you imagine the age of COVID, like cleaning dirty COVID? That's plates? the worst. I, I just find it fascinating because people complain and like I was my daughter and her friends and she's on set and she complained today. I probably shouldn't be talking about this because she's probably can hear me somewhere, but I'll say it anyway. She was complaining that she was on set today and didn't, she didn't get a chance to eat and she was working really hard. She goes, and she got back and she was so tired. It's tiring. I, I mean, I, I'm not an actor, but I, I've been on, uh, on sets before. It's very tiring. She's like, oh man, I feel like I'm a construction worker. She got off. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. 
you do not feel a construction worker feels like they're a construction worker. This is, you know, hard work. I'm not saying that's not hard, but it's not the same thing as you're digging ditches or anything. Like that. Right. Way different. Than that. Yeah. No, no uh, perspective there. And that must have, was that a union shoot? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. she should have gotten her break. I think she got a break, but, <laughs> but it wasn't enough. Anyway, Lunch, it's, as it's, it's, it's these days. That's, that's what I'm saying. Let them, let them go to Paul's run. Oops. I think I said the, uh, nursery, but I don't even know if they're open uh, anymore. But anyway, that let them go and catch dishes in 120 degrees. Yeah. And then right. Complain. John, how do you feel about jumping into our very popular feature? You <laughs> ever heard this before? Have you ever what heard you this before? This is our feature. <laughs> I always love it. By the way, please come up with a different name. If anybody has a suggestion, right? Maybe there's something a little more unique than that because I think ours is. Something like, I've never heard this before, or wow, (laughs) I can't believe you're playing me this. And once we come up with a segment, we'll give you credit, and then we're going to write a little tune that's going to say like, I've heard it before, I've heard it, you know, whatever it is. Well, I'll come up with a little tune so that we can sort of introduce this segment. But in this segment, we introduce songs to each other that we have never heard before, and hopefully also introduce them to our lovely listening audience and get them turned on to some new music or even old music that is new to their ears. So, uh, Len, do you want to go first? This is a little bit of a technical disaster. No, it's not really a technical disaster. <laughs> but I have to share my screen so that we can play Len's song. Now, the tricky thing about Len's thing is he's giving me a YouTube video. I am not going to look at it because then it gives away who's singing. So I'm actually putting my hand over the title of the, of the artist because I think that will ruin it. And I'm about to press play. Yeah. On it. So and let me let me just set this up, set up? Too, okay. because the reason why I send you this one, it's a live performance, and the live performance isn't the best quality because it was recorded in a in a radio station studio. So the question for this is: the name of the band is not as important. It's the person who's actually a female singer who's singing lead. Curious to see if uh, you would know who that is, and you probably will once you hear. It. All right, and without further ado, and we will tell you what it is at the end of it. So here we go. Correct. Sounds like the beginning of a Steely Dan song. I loved it, and I cheated 
God damn it. I didn't yeah. mean to, but I looked at the video for a second and then all of a sudden it was in there and I couldn't look away, but that was Sia. That was Sia, correct. And I love so, that song, Destiny. That's the first time I've ever heard that version of that song, but it's Zero Seven's Destiny. Yeah, so Zero Seven is a British band. I think they started in the late uh, 90s. Uh, this came out, I think the album is called Simple Things. Uh, it's a double vinyl if anybody wants to go out and get it. Sia performs three or four songs on that album. If anybody is not familiar, like, you know, the things that Sia sings now, they're very pop. She's got an incredible voice, but incredible. she's part of the she's part of the machine now, right? They they make all this music for her, but she has got such a soulful, jazzy voice. And if you really hear her performances on uh, uh, on that Zero Seven album, they're amazing, fantastic. Highly, highly recommend. I love Sia. I think she's done all sorts of different things. She's very modest. A friend of mine went and saw her at the Hollywood Bowl, and she never even shows her face. She like hides. I, I was there. I was Did there. Did you go to and that she show? Had, she was turned around backwards yeah. uh, for the most part, and then she had that girl uh, who's the dancer mm-hmm. who wore the same two-tone wig, and she would just dance and perform. And she wore a two-tone wig, and she would kind of uh, stood backwards. The That's whole like time. probably the most I've ever seen Sia in that video. And I didn't even recognize her because – She's so unrecognizable because she never shows her face. She's like the opposite of a millennial. I guess I don't even know how old she is probably millennial. <laughs> but she's uh but you know, she's like the opposite of like um, you know, selfies every minute kind of um Kim Kardashian type of artist. All right. I am going to play you something that is also a cover. Actually, that wasn't a cover, that was their original song, but they had somebody singing it. This is mm-hmm. a cover, and I'm curious to know is an artist that I was not familiar with, and I'm curious to know if you recognize the song. It takes a little while to all kick in so we'll let it run for like a minute and a half but uh let me cue it up here Okay. <laughs> you liked it? I do like it. I think the song sounds very familiar. I think I kind of know. Take a stab at it. It is a band that you're okay. familiar with. I know that. 
Well, I believe it's a Radiohead yes, song. Yes, you got I'm it. Mistaken. It is a Radiohead. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name. I'm trying to rack my brain which one, but I think it's from OK Computer. The song is called Weird Fishes. The voice of the singer sounds so familiar, too. I was trying to kind of figure out who that is. So I have never heard of her, but her name is Leanne Lahavas. L-I-A-N-N-E-L-A-H-A-V-A-S. She has a beautiful voice. It's a really cool video. I heard it on our local station, KCRW, and I was like, what the hell yeah. is that? And they're very good at finding kind of songs that are kind of rare or that you have might not have heard before. So I was really excited. I love that song. It gets it just kind of builds and builds and builds, just like the song on Radiohead does. It just builds and becomes this crazy, amazing song. But she has such a beautiful, soulful voice, and I thought you would appreciate it because you seem to like stuff that has a lot of soul. And so I thought you might like I, that I love one. that. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, thank cool. you for sharing that. that Leanne LaHavis. All right, so... Wow, so there you have it. Another segment of You Never Heard That Before. (laughs) Maybe that's what we call it. What are we going to call this? Help us, people. I don't know, but it's maybe selfish, but I don't care if people like this or not. I love this. Uh, The feedback we have gotten is quite positive. People, the the one, they've said they love it. In fact, they liked it so much they asked us to include links to the songs in the description so they can find the music and listen to it afterwards. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I I was just being facetious, but you're absolutely right. We got a lot of feedback from people saying, this is great learning new music, and they asked us to post links. Right. Maybe the whole show one day will just be us playing songs for each other. It would just be like us hanging out. You know, that would be the best. That's that's the goal of the show. Right. This is all just let us know. It's, this is yeah. This the, is the, the part we get show. excited about every episode. Well, I've got I already got like five okay. songs ready to go for the next time. Me too. Um, I'm and ready if you guys it. have some, you know, maybe some suggestions at home of songs that we might not have heard of that you can turn us on to, artists that we don't know about that you can turn us on to, we are down to listen. We could actually have Please special share. guests that's come on. True. We should have Meryl come on and play us a song, or just somebody from the team to come on and play us a song. Everybody, welcome to introduce us to new music. It's funny because I was I was trying to figure out what I should play, and, and I, there's some stuff. But I'm like, ah, this is so obscure and so interesting that I played it for a couple of people that I knew. Like, oh my god, I never knew that was Sia. So, but I do want to be introduced to newer music. So if anybody has anything new, so obscure like you know, uh, older stuff, but. Uh, if somebody has anything new, I always like to learn new stuff. I mean, so it doesn't matter what genre is, from classical all the way to jazz and anything in between. So yeah, please, that's a just not the blues for me. Oh well, you've got to turn next, me on to the next blues. song. Let's do that instead of one of the ones that I had. Let's do a blues song. This I is I'm going to teach John to like the blues because <laughs> I'm. I will admit <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of hip hop, of R and B. All the stuff, rock and roll, all the stuff that came from the blues. I understand the I understand the significance of the blues, like in music. Like it, the, the music couldn't exist without the blues that, that I like. And yet, the actual blues, I don't like that much. So, well, uh, you like Led Zeppelin? You like the Rolling Stones? I do, but I guess I like know? the way they. No, I, of course I love Led Zeppelin. And and maybe if there's some riffs there, I know that Led Zeppelin ripped off the blues like crazy. I get it. I mean, they'll admit it. They're the first Will, to admit. Willie Dixon. A whole lot of love, all that stuff. That's it's really all from the blues. Yeah. yeah, so maybe I like yeah. blues well, more than I think. It's just that I wouldn't sit down and be like, I'm going to just listen to you know BB King right now. Like I just, uh, I don't know. I do how, love. How about I love um, Gary Clark Manish Jr. Boy. You're, I do love Gar- Manish Boy. Manish Boy. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. I love okay. that song. So we'll, we'll get. All right. So we'll. Yeah. We know yeah. This will be good. It's but a anyway. master course in the blues. 
Well, there's two, there's two different, there's the old blues and then there's electric blues, right? So the old blues were acoustic blues. Right. Uh, anyway, Robert Johnson that comes to mind and uh, Lead Belly and all that right. stuff. Lead Belly's, uh, that Kurt Cobain did the, uh, a version of Lead Belly's uh, song in, in MTV, Unplugged, the Nirvana Unplugged one. That's like acoustic blues. And then you move into more electric blues. And, you know, modern guys like Gary Clark Jr., if you're familiar with that, a very rockish, bluish kind of set. But uh, yeah, all right. So we'll do blues. One last thing that I'm going to cover. I want to get your opinion because you're in industry and you're in somewhat that part of the industry too, where there's events that people have that are Zoom events and, and all these different uh, things. And, and I wanted to let you know what I'm dealing with these days. Mm-hmm. I found really fascinating and uh, kind of a trend that I'm not really connecting to. Right. So I've been approached by several different uh, organizers of events, and they asked me to present at you know their event. So that means I have to create a presentation, whether it's PowerPoint or something else. I have to take my time, allocate that practice, because I want to do a great job. No matter who invites me, I want to do great. So it can be one person in the audience. It can be a thousand people in the audience. But it's a pay to play. They're asking for our company, for Endo DNA, to be able to pay, to be able to present, create unique material, present it, record it, and they own that material. And then they want me to pay for that. So it's a pay to play. You pay for your spot, which I found offensive. I'm trying to get an understanding. Like, first of all, have you dealt with that? Uh, have you heard of that? And I'm trying to get an understanding why this would be. I understand a sponsorship. Like if you're and if you're approaching Endo DNA and you say, hey, would you want to sponsor our event? You're going to get X amount of mentions, whatever that is. Okay, you know, that's a different kind of relationship. But if you're asking me to take my time to create unique content that you're going to own, present that content, you record it, you're going to get an audience using me and my company, you're going to own that and you want me to pay for that? Right. I just, I don't understand. Yeah. My first reaction to this is that people are always looking for new ways to make money. And especially now during COVID, when a lot of the traditional models have been interrupted a bit, somebody probably told them at some point, or they probably heard that this is another revenue source. You know, people will pay you for the exposure. I know that, you know, in the case of one of the companies I work for, which will remain nameless just because I don't know if I'm allowed to <laughs> reveal this, but I mean, it's public, you know, they charge writers from companies to pay their company to publish their stories. And I think yeah. it's it's a revenue source because the trade-off being that this company is so big and your exposure on their platform will be so massive that it's worth it for you to pay into. It's not a lot of money, but they're asking you to pay for the opportunity to be on their platform, which has millions and millions of views, right? You know, that's coming out of a trend that I'm seeing across the board on every in every industry, um, this kind of pay to play kind of trend. You know, it's not great. And it's especially when the advertising, the traditional sort of advertising model and sponsorship model yeah. isn't working because a lot of advertisers aren't advertising as much as they used to. If they are advertising, they're advertising on very narrowly. They're just like putting their budget into Facebook and some of the big social media platforms and stuff, and they're not like spreading the love. So these companies are like forced to come up with other ways to get revenue, but it's not great. I mean, I think if you're going to have somebody pay, do a pay to play, then you have to offer some exchange that's equal to the amount that, you know, what your content provides for them. Like 
if they have no exposure and you're giving them, so I, I just gave my content for free to a, an organization that is going to promote it and going to put it in what, in their virtual event that they're putting on. Right. Now, if they had charged me for that, then I would want to know, like, what's the return on my investment here? Like, how many people are actually going to be watching this and are people really going to be, you know, is there going to be any kind of exchange? I understand why people are asking you to pay, but I think they better be able to show what you're getting back in return in, in a tangible yeah. way, right? Yeah. No, I, it's frustrating. Be, you're right about the trend. I, I definitely would want ROI. I mean, we're not doing it. And I'm not doing it. But I think there's two things that are happening. Number one, they realize that people just want to hear themselves talk <laughs> and they want to gain some sort of notoriety. And I think if they go on the circuit, the cannabis circuit that I was part of a speaking circuit that you'll get some sort of notoriety for that. Right. You become a th- everybody yeah. wants to be a thought leader, right? Everybody. So, so they prey on that. And the other thing is this whole notion you were talking about Facebook. Well, it's very, very difficult to advertise anything cannabis related on any platform. Like mm-hmm. Google doesn't let you do AdWords. Social media shuts you down with uh, any mention of uh, cannabinoids. Even for us, we don't, have anything to do with cannabis per se. We don't have touch the plan. We don't have any of that. And because we describe the endocannabinoid system, I guess the bot or whoever, it flags cannabinoid. Yeah. Oh no, you guys uh, can't advertise. So they're like, oh, well, you can't advertise in traditional platforms. So we're going to give you an audience. But the thing is that I find fascinating, you're actually presenting to the same audience that probably already knows who you are that's coming in so you're not creating a funnel in any way. There is no real ROI and you don't own the content. I mean, you kind of do, you kind of can use the content for yourself, but then the idea should be that I want to have a filter. Like, it, And I'm not telling people what to do. It's their business model. They can do whatever they want. But I'd love for people that are listening to us now to comment and give us feedback because I believe that there should be a filter. Not everybody in the cannabis industry that has a couple of dollars in their pocket should be able to give them the opportunity, a platform to present. There's a space for that. It's called advertising, sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, sponsor and pay. You should be able to do that. But if you're going to go and you're going to present, I've been on some panels and I've been in some presentations where clearly, and not saying that I'm some sort of humongous expert that knows the things that other people don't know, but these people were saying incorrect information, like like blatantly incorrect information, setting people up for having, you know, some adverse experiences. And they, I happen to challenge them. I've seen a person literally walk off a panel, like in the middle of a panel, because the other person was saying such outrageous, incorrect things. They found the microphone and walked off and left. And I have a lot of respect for that person. Yeah. I mean, that's on for whoever is sponsoring the panel. You would hope that they, you know, look, I mean, we see it happening in the debates, you know, all this fake information, disinformation, <laughs> right? That comes out and who's- There's no who's, misinformation. It's all true. It's all, it's true. all true. It's just, yeah, right. There's <laughs> alternative facts. And it also what it does is it doesn't level the playing field. It makes it a very elite type of, um, it's right. like only if you only if you can afford it, can you be part of our event? And then you don't get to hear all voices, you just get to hear the people that have the most money. And so, you know, one of the nice right. things about the cannabis industry is that it has a very egalitarian kind of thing behind it. And it's very, you know, it's the an industry that's very 
big into social equity, helping out minorities and helping out people who aren't necessarily don't always get the first dig at things. And I think cannabis has an opportunity to be different than every other industry. But if it starts yeah. going in this direction, then it's just going to be like every other industry. It's it's the, the rich yeah. end up getting their voices heard and the people who don't have the money don't. So I'm hoping that people who organize these things, I mean, it, it's always about money. I'm sure they're doing it because people are willing to pay. And once you hear that people are willing to pay, uh, it's hard to say no, I think, in a lot of times, especially in tough times like now. And But I, I understand it. And I think it, it's good that you're taking a stand against it because if you just buy into it, then you're just part of the problem, right? No, I think you're absolutely right. And I maybe if people are interested, we can do an episode all about like the big business coming in, what's going on with the cannabis industry and how can we maintain that? Because that there is an equalizer here and that ability doesn't matter how much money you have to grow this plant the right way. It takes a skill and yeah. color, class, all that doesn't matter. I, I definitely want to discuss that at some point people are interested to be continued no that's a very good topic and very timely especially where we are right now in cannabis and it's really it's a kind of pivotal moment in cannabis and a lot of things going to change because there's going to be a lot more legal states you know it looks like the northeast is going to open up with new jersey opening up look how that's going to change pennsylvania new york and blend always a pleasure yeah, absolutely. And you, this is almost perfect because you froze for yeah, a minute. Yeah, John, pleasure's all mine. <laughs> you froze for a minute, and it's like, your, my pause. it's like your computer is just telling us, uh, I'm tired. No, I don't know, but your computer- It's, it's over. You guys are done. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so right, yeah. until we meet again, I'm John Small. And Len May. And thank you all for joining and listening to Everything Is Personal. Today I didn't even have to use my AK. I got to say it was a good day. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.